This morning, the message is simply entitled, Love Not the World. We're in 1 John, so if you've got your Bibles, 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 15 to 17 is where we're going to be. But we're going to talk about love not the world. And what does that mean? Now, let's be honest. You've you got to understand love is a key defining factor in the life of a Christian. Isn't it? It's a key defining factor in the life of a Christian. Why? Because the first commandment is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind. And so we know that love defines us as Christians because we're called to love God with everything that we are, with everything that we've got. And then we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's the second greatest commandment and is to be followed as well. We're called to love everybody. In truth, every single person that you run into, that's your neighbor. There's, there's nobody you can't bump into that's not your neighbor. We're called to love them. In fact, Jesus even went so far in Matthew to talk about the fact that we're called to love our enemies. To love those who spitefully use us. To love those who persecute us. So to define it for us, we're called to love everybody. And yet, and yet, here in 1 John, he says, do not love the world. So we got to understand if, if everything about Christianity is about love, and yet God says, don't love this, we better understand what it is he's telling us not to love. And so today we're going to talk about love not the world. In 1 John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 15. We're going to look at four reasons not to love the world. Four reasons not to love the world. The first one is the command not to love the world. Look at the beginning of verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now we need to define that because let's be honest, we have got a misunderstanding of what that word world means in a lot of ways. The word world comes from the Greek word cosmos, which is just a simple explanation of the world, of that which is created. But when we think about this, there has to be more understanding to it. What is he not telling us? Well, first he's telling us that it's not that we're not called to love the physical world or the created order. You say, well, what do you mean? We got to understand that when God created everything, Genesis 1.31, he said it was very good. After all creation was over, God said that the created work that he made was very good. In fact, in Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 to 6, it tells us that creation is praising the name of God. Look at this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a, as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. He is going forth, is from the end of heaven, and is circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. In other words, God uses creation to praise his glorious name. How can you not go out and look at the vastness of God's creation? I did a, a funeral yesterday, and up on the, it was up on a hillside, and you could look out and just see the beauty of the glorious Tennessee mountains. And the handiwork just praised his name. So it can't be God's created order, and it can't be the physical world. Not only can it not be that, it can't be the world of humanity. And a lot of people say, well, we're just called not to love them. We're, not called, we're called not to love those who aren't of the church. No, that's not what it says at all. Because John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world. So wait a minute, God loves the world, but yet we're told not to love the world. So it can't be humanity because that's who he's talking about there in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he's not talking about the created order of humanity either. 
Because then in 1 John 2, 2, where it says that Jesus is our propitiation, that he took the anger of God, the wrath of God upon himself, that he might free you and I. So we can't be talking about the world of humanity. So what is he talking about? There has to be an understanding to it. And I will tell you what it is that he's talking about here. He's talking about the invisible spiritual system of evil governed by Satan. That's what he's telling you not to love. Do not love the invisible spiritual system of evil governed by Satan. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, I get that from a lot of scripture. So we're going to flip quite a few times. We'll start with Ephesians 2.2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You used to walk that way. You used to walk in your sins, in your transgressions. You used to walk in the ways of disobedience toward God. Those were the ways you used to walk in. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's who you once used to be. You used to walk in that spiritual kingdom of darkness. You used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. You used to walk according to the will of Satan. That's what you used to be. God wants you to not love that any longer. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, In verse 19, he puts it this way. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. He's talking about the world that lies in wickedness, in sinfulness, that desire to pursue the things that go against God. He says, don't love that world system. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John makes it clear several times of some of Jesus' own statements. In John 12, in verse 31, Jesus said there, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And also in John 14, in verse 30, he says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. You see, the truth of the matter is, is we've been delivered from this if you're a Christian today. You are no longer walking in that old path, nor should you desire to go back to it. Colossians 1.13 says this, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He doesn't want you to go back to your old life. He doesn't want you to go back to who you used to be. He doesn't want you to go back to Satan's vices. He doesn't want you to continue in your sin and in your transgression. You're called not to love that old life. To be honest with you, I look back at my life before Christ. And I look at it and I think to myself, man, I could have done so much more with my life. I wasted so much time. I got saved when I was 18, but I wasted so much time before that. So much time that I could have spent for the glory of God that I wasted in his presence. And when I think about this, we're called not to love this evil system of the world that's governed by Satan. Why? Because it will change you back to the way you used to be. Let me tell you something. I like new stuff. Anybody like new stuff? You do go shopping, right? You like new stuff. None of you like moldy bread, right? You like new fresh bread, right? Okay, just checking. Some of y'all were like, I don't like new stuff. I like old stuff. That's good. We'll give you some moldy bread then. But here's the thing. We like new stuff. And the reason why we like new stuff is because it's new. A lot of people like new cars because they got that fresh new car smell. People like new stuff. And the truth is, is when God transforms you into the new, why in the world would you want to go back to the old? Why would you want to go back to what you used to be? Why would you want to return to that? He says, just stay away from that. Don't love that old evil world system. Then he tells us the consequences for loving the world. At the end of verse 15, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if you haven't put to death that old man, you can't claim to be a Christian. You get that, right? You understand that's what he's saying, right? You say, well, are you sure? Are you sure I can't, I can't keep dabbling in some of the things I used to dabble in? No, no, you can't. 
In fact, James 4, 4 says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In fact, in Matthew 6 and verse 24, he says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon. you got to choose. In other words, you can't keep riding the fence. You can't ride the fence. You can't have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. You can't just have Jesus as Savior, but yourself as Lord. You can't separate yourself that way. The more you separate yourself, you end up being bipolar. There's a lot of bipolar Christians. They want to dabble in a little bit of heaven and Christ-likeness, and then they want to dabble back in the world. You can't do it. You can't live for Jesus on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is your turn. You can't do it. Bible says that that's a split personality and you can't have it. You can't be that way. You prove to yourself that you're not of the Father. Look at what it says. If any man love the world. In other words, if you go back to that evil system, if you have that desire to return to your old self, if you continue in that old path, he says this, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't claim to love Jesus if you still are holding on to your old life. Now, I hear people say all the time, well, I hope I go to heaven. Well, if you're just hoping, let me tell you, you can know you're going to heaven. If you're just hoping, it's because you're still dabbling in the old life. Because those who know that they're saved, they put away that old life and they don't want to go back to it any longer. We're called not to love the world. Why? Because if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. But let's get into the identifying marks of the world. Verse 16. You ready? Here we go. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, I want to use a current illustration for a moment. We had a concert last Sunday night. I don't know about you, but I loved it. Now, you know what? There were some people that didn't like it. And you know what? You're, it's okay that you don't like it. But don't call it worldly. That's what I heard people say. Oh, that was worldly. Okay, let's define worldly again. Invisible spiritual system of evil governed by Satan. What was worldly about that concert? Now, Brother John, there was, there was some flashing lights. There was some fog machines. And they even shot streamers twice. Okay, so if you ever go home and you flick your lights on and off, you just entered into the realm of the devil, right? If it's, if it's ever foggy outside and you go for a drive, I hope you don't end up in hell, okay? I mean, let's just get real. God created lights. God created fog. Those are things that happen. They just used it. it, it it's okay. Brother John, did you not hear the beat and the rhythm of the music? Yeah, I was doing my little Baptist sway to it. You know, didn't you? Uh-huh. I got to the rhythm of it and the beat of it. Oh, but Brother John, did you not see him dance? Yeah, I did. I thought it was pretty cool. You say, well, wait a minute. Dancing's not biblical. My old preacher said a praying knee and a dancing foot don't grow on the same leg. Well, he didn't know David then, did he? <laughs> David danced before the Lord and gave praise and shout and honor and glory. In fact, Psalm 150 tells us to praise him in the dance. It's okay to move your hips a little. Even fuddy-duddies can do the Baptist sway. Okay? You can do it. It's okay. 
You say, well, Brother John, I just didn't like the music and I couldn't understand the words. What words didn't you like? Was it Jesus is coming back? I mean, how dare they sing something like that? Was it glorify? We want to glorify your name? Was it next to me that he's calling the prodigal son back to him? What, what was it that you didn't like? What was it that was unbiblical in the words that he sang? Because every song I listen to glorified God. And I'm here to tell you, if it's glorifying God, Satan and the world don't have any part in it. They don't. You say, well, Brother John, are you sure? Are you sure that the, that the Lord was glorified? I want you to understand something. I want to read something from Matthew 12. Listen to this, verse 24. And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. You're right. I'm putting you in the Pharisees category. You ready? Hold on. And Jesus knew their faults and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to dissolution, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Can I just tell you something? The world and Satan are not going to glorify God. They're not going to worship and tell you that Jesus is coming back. They're not going to tell you that they want to glorify his name. That's not worldly. That's not satanic. That's not unbiblical. That is the thing that Jesus Christ has called us to do. You better believe. So stop calling things worldly that aren't worldly. Because the truth of the matter is, you showed a worldly attitude by being grumbling and disgruntled. Because Philippians says that that's what the world is. You want to bring division, don't bring Satan in here. That wasn't brought last week. That glorified God. Man, when I see stuff like that, it blows me away. But it's because we've misunderstood. Here's the problem. The problem is, is we look at it and we go, well, I didn't like it. Can I just tell you something? Just because it's not your preference doesn't make it unbiblical. We've got to recognize that what's biblical is defined by the Word of God and not your likes and dislikes. You get that, right? It's defined by the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. I don't prefer what's coming up in November. I'm just being honest. But you know what? You know what I'll be here doing? I'll be here praising God. You know why? Because I know that's what they're here to do. I came last year to it, and it was awesome. I loved the Lefevers. They were great. I'd never heard them before. It's not my kind of music. But you know what? Jesus ain't all about me. In fact, he ain't about me at all. He's about himself. And so when we glorify God, that's what it's about. Stop calling things worldly because it's not your preference. Let's see what he talks about then. What's worldly? What are these defining marks? He says this. There's three. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's define them. The lust of the flesh simply means this. It is the cravings of evil hearts and the propensity to sin and to cross the line. How do you know that? Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then Galatians 5 defines what the lust of the flesh is. Look at this. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, which you do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
The cravings of the heart are simply this. I know God told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. The lust of the flesh is saying, you know what? I want what I want, and I'm, therefore I'm going to take what I want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to cross the line of God's sin path. I'm going to cross that line that God tells me not to cross over, and I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to be who I want to be, how I want to be, when I want to be. That's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh says, it's about me. It's the cravings of the heart. It's falling into sin. It's turning over our lives to a sinful path. That's not what God wants for us. That's what the world wants for you. The world wants you to believe that everything is love. Isn't it amazing? They define everything as love today. It's okay. Homosexuality is okay. It's love. No, it's not. It's lust. You wouldn't say that about pornography. It's not love. It's lust. You wouldn't say that about child molesters you wouldn't say that about adultery you wouldn't say that about any other sexual sin let's just be honest if it's sex outside of marriage it's wrong and I mean a biblical marriage man and a wife not this mess they got going on nowadays and, and let me define it again a man from birth to a woman from birth The lust of the flesh says we can crave whatever we want. It doesn't matter what God says, and I'm going to do what I want. That's the crave. That's the lust of the flesh. Then he says the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is that longing, dissatisfaction with what we have, covetous nature, and idolatry. The eyes are important to us as Christians, and they're important to us as people who walk in this world anyways. Matthew 6, says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, the idea is that we need to be careful what we look at, what we view, what we allow the windows of our heart to see. We need to be careful of what we allow into our lives. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, 29, Jesus said it this way. You've heard that it was said to them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Look at this. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let me tell you something. If you've got a problem with your eyes, clean them up. Don't put things before your eyes that you know will tempt you. Don't put things before your eyes that will draw you away from God. Don't put things before your eyes that can cause you to walk back into the lust of the flesh. Don't have lustful things with your eyes so that you'll walk back into the flesh. That's the whole purpose. Here's the thing. Achan in Joshua chapter 7, he desired the silver. He desired the garments. And what did he do? He ended up, he went and he took them. And because of that, the people of Israel were defeated. And eventually God brought it before their, brought it before their face. They saw that Achan had sinned and it ended up costing him his life. If you look in 2 Samuel 11, same thing happened with David. David was supposed to be out in the midst of battle. It says when kings go out to battle, and where was David? David was home. He got lazy. And he walked out on his roof and what did he see? He saw Bathsheba bathing. Can I tell you what David should have done the moment he saw a woman bathing? Turned around went back into his other four wives. He really needed another one? I mean, seriously? He walked out there, he saw her, he inquired of her, he brought her, and he lay with her. He followed in the path of sin. 
He saw what he wanted and he took what he saw. You've got to be careful what you allow your eyes to see. Remember as a child the little song, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Don't put those things before your path because they can drag you down. Lastly is the pride of life. When you need to understand something about the pride of life, it's putting self above everything else. Pride of life is simply putting self above everything else. I before everybody. The pride of life is when we think it's all about us. That happens oftentimes in the church. Can you believe that? When we come into the church and say, well, I didn't really like the sermon that he preached this morning. Can I just tell you something? I don't care. You say, well, why don't you care? Because it ain't about me. The message ain't about me. The message isn't for me. The message is about to change me. Because I've got to listen to this over and over. I preach it to myself numerous times before I ever preach it to you. God's using it to change me. You may say, well, I don't care for the music. That's okay. Get over yourself. It's not glorifying you. It's glorifying Jesus. You see, that's the thing. We've got to get to a point where we stop thinking about ourselves first. Here's the thing. Satan has used this tool numerous times. If we go all the way to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we see this with Eve. Look at what it says here. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Leave that up there for a second. I want you to see this. Look at these three things. The lust of the flesh. She saw that the tree was good for food. She was, she was hungry. So you know what? Why withhold it? She sees it. She wants it, even though God said don't touch it. And she goes over, God tells her, don't eat it. And she says, but I want it. It's good for food. Now look at the lust of the eyes. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, it looked good. You know why? Because the things that you can't have look better than the things you have. Satan loves you to believe that. Satan wants you to believe the grass is always greener on the other side. Always. And then the pride of life. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. If you read verse 5 of Genesis 3, you know what it says there? It told her this, for doth God know that in the day ye thereof that your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods. Ooh. She thought, I want that wisdom. I want to know good from evil. I want these things. And so the pride of life got to her and she ate of the fruit. But you know, Eve's not the only one that Satan did this to. He also did it to Jesus. Don't you remember when Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 4? You see these three things again, verses 2 to 4. Look at this. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, As written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Oh, you're hungry, Jesus. Get you some food. Lust of the flesh. Forty days you've gone without food. God won't mind if you take the first miracle and turn this, this stone into bread. God won't mind if you do something for yourself. Go ahead and do that. Don't wait till you get in the town. Go ahead and take care of it right here, right now. Lust of the flesh. How about the lust of the eyes? Verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil taketh him up an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things I will give to you if thou fall down and worship me. And then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I'll give you everything. I'm the prince of the power of the air. I'll give it all back to you. You know what it would have happened if he'd done that? We'd all still gone to hell. That's what would have happened. 
Because the perfect sacrificial lamb wouldn't have been paid for our sins. He was trying so desperately to get him to lust out the flesh, to lust out the eyes, and then the pride of life. Verses 5 to 7, then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee in their hands, and they shall bear thee up, lest at any time they dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He presumed protection. Oh, just throw yourself off, man. It's all about you anyways. Throw yourself off there. God will show up. He'll show all these people. We'll see miracles. This is, this is what it's all about. It's the pride of life. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was the only one that was able to defeat all of them, and he defeated them with Scripture. He wanted nothing to do with that part of the world, but he wanted everything to do with saving the world. Those are the identifying markers of the world. Lastly, let's look at the reward for loving the world. Verse 17. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doth the will of God abideth forever. The word passeth away comes from the word parago, which means to disappear. The Bible tells us numerous times that this world is passing away. In 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 31, it tells us that this world is passing away. It's passing away. That it's not going to be here. And they that use this world is not abusing it, for fashion the world passeth away. Not only does 1 Corinthians 7 tell us this thing, but also 1 Peter 4. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that God is going to destroy the earth with fire. It's passing away. But he's not just talking about the physical world. Because here's what we need to understand. This world is shaping up to be worse than it ever was. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5 show us this. The world is seeking what in the last days perilous times shall come. Look at that. Perilous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy. And the list goes on and on. And in verse 13 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says something that will blow your mind. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know what he's saying there? He's saying as the world turns, it's only going to get worse. It's not getting better. But it will. Those that live in the world, those that continue in the world, he's showing us here that it's going to pass away. And not only is it going to pass away, but there's a judgment that's going to come on those who don't know Jesus Christ. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to the end that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In a flaming fire taking vengeance on them and that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let me tell you something. I, I don't want that for any of you in here. You realize that it's eternal punishment. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want any of you to experience being separated from God for eternity. It's the most painful thing, but this world is passing away. And those who want to live by the world and live in the world and be a part of the world and want, want to be a part of its evil world system that's governed by Satan, this is what's going to happen. You're going to end up living eternally with Satan. That's natural punishment, not a pleasure trip. But he does say this at the end of verse 17. He says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He doesn't say he who believes in Jesus. Isn't that amazing he doesn't say that? He could have just said, hey, if you just believe. He doesn't say that. Because James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. 
He says, he that doeth the will of the Father. Matthew 7, 21 says something very similar to that. And this verse is so important. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know why that verse is important to me and why I love this verse so much? Because this is the verse that changed my life. This verse right here is one of those verses that showed me that I was one of those who was just declaring Jesus, Lord, Lord, but I wasn't living it. This is the verse right here that really spoke to me, that showed me that Jesus really wasn't the Lord of my life because I was still doing things my way growing up. That I was still living for John. That John was still king on the throne. That John was still a part of the pride of life. That John thought that life was all about him. This verse right here is the one that showed me that things better change. It's not those who declare him Lord, Lord, but it's those who do it the will of the Father. Those who are truly surrendered to Jesus, they can know that heaven is awaiting them. So many people, and this is why we're going through 1 John, so many people question. And please understand, it's not wrong for you to question whether you're saved or not. Because the Bible does tell you to work out your own salvation. Work through it in your mind. Understand if you really are his. Because that's one thing Satan would love to trip you up with, making you believe you're a Christian when you're not. But he'd also love to make you as a Christian believe you're not a Christian because you'll be only concerned about yourself and not others. He knows these things. But I want you to understand that those who do the will of the Father, those are the ones that are truly surrendered to Jesus Christ. Those are the ones that can know that they abideth in God and God abides in them. You see, here's the thing about the world. Trust me, I don't love the things that are going on in this world, especially in America today. Man, the things that are happening in our country, I would have never I'm just 47 years old, and I can look back and think to myself, man, I would never have thought that I'd seen those things when I was a teenager. Never. Just 30 years ago, who would have thought we'd be where we are today, where boys can't decide if they're boys or girls, and girls can't decide if they're boys or girls? Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought we'd have come to a day and age in our own country where we're promoting sensuality, and we're promoting people like Cardi B, and all these others that are just harlots I'm here to tell you if you're listening more to Taylor Swift than to Candace Owens there's a problem but we're headed in that direction the world is passing away the world is going deeper and deeper and deeper into the governing of Satan's rule and desires and fleshly ways and it's time for the church to stand up and say we love the people of the world but we don't love where the world is going it is okay to love the sinner and hate the sin it is okay that's God's desire for us but let me tell you something If we keep dabbling in the world, they won't want to be one of us. One of the things my younger brother asked me one time when I was in college and I came home. He said, John, do you think I'm a Christian? I said, Kenny, I don't know. He said, no, man. He said, I'm serious. I want you you to tell me. Do you think I'm a Christian? I said, well, well, I'll just be honest. I said, um... I don't know your heart. I don't know your relationship with God. I said, you do. I said, but if I looked at the fruit of your life, I would say there's no fruit. And therefore, if there's no fruit, there's no relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would say no. And he said, you know, he said, a friend of mine, I was telling him that he needed to come to church with me. And he said this to me, and it made me think. 
His friend said, why would I want to be like you when you act just like me? It's time to stop riding the fence and choose a side. You're either for God and you're all in or you're for Satan and you're all in with him. But it's time for you to pick a side and choose who you'll follow. Because I'm here to tell you, when it comes to the judgment, God's going to know your heart. And God's not just going to take it by your lips. He's going to take it by what's true with your life. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. But boy, we better be changed and transformed and look different than we've ever looked before.